Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jones of all ages, welcome to the main event of the evening. It's Talking Joe with Chief and Steve. Yo, yo! Yo, Joe! Hey, 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 it's the Chiefy Two Shoes. I'm joined by you. The SJB No Shoes. <laughs> but pants? Yes, pants. Pants. Yes, yes. Amen. <laughs> I have um, the door open you? tonight, Chief. There's, uh, there's nobody else in the apartment, so I'm, I'm breathing easy for a change. Oh, you're footloose and fancy free. Ooh, you know it, son. How are you doing, Chief? <laughs> yes, uh, I am... Well, I have just spilt a cup of tea on the way up into the loft. But of course, um, what I'm actually going to do, I'm making a compilation of chief spills because uh, I am the big bad chief spiller, the spill daddy, so to speak. And I have got a snapshot of probably about ten spills of things I've done over the last month. So, uh, listeners, uh, get ready for that comp- compilation of uh, chief spill images. If you um, can timestamp each picture, we could probably cross-reference the exact episode of Talking Joe or Other Timers <laughs> that you were working on at the time. And, yes. yeah, we'll get this great, like, super cut of, like, oh, inside chief's mind, I spilled something again. <laughs> um but other than spilling, um, Chief has only gone and done it again, hasn't he? The, the, the guy does not know when to say no. So off the back of a brief discussion about Skelectrics with Ben on the out-of-timers, I went and then spent a load of money on Skelectrics and built this, this super track with cars up in the loft. And unfortunately... I was talking to someone, might have even been the Seddons, about the, the latest classified Joe line. I was like, they look pretty cool. Do, do I need them or not? And uh, Mark was like, oh, they're really cool. Pete was like, no, you don't really need them. And then I went down a rabbit hole at the weekend of just looking at modern day action figures and thinking, wait a minute, these are actually quite cool. Just across all franchises. So I was looking at Marvel Legends the Star Wars Black Series, obviously the Joe Classified lines, and then a load of others from companies I'd never heard of, like NECA and mm. Marfex and all these other people. And I was like, oh, these are really cool. <laughs> That's and an expensive rabbit hole. <laughs> well, before you knew it, I'd spent 300 quid on stuff I don't need. And um, the the first figure arrived yesterday, and it is a Star Wars Black Series Bosk. Mm. And this figure is nice. Articulation is not the best. I'm struggling to get him to hold the gun in two hands, but the figure looks gorgeous. Uh, well, in my since head, your precedent was the original Empire Strikes Back collection action figure who couldn't hold anything, <laughs> yeah. this is surely a step up from that. <laughs> yes, yes. But in my head, I think one of the things that triggered this was having seen loads of good online toy photography not least of which friend of the show mate mylar just to name one but loads of um, other listeners and other sites that i've been checking out who are doing this fantastic toy photography i was like i fancy throwing my hat in the ring and doing like some mashups doing some you know marvel star wars gi joe mashup photos with zero experience of 
you know the game so to speak so i imagine my efforts will be poor but that led me to buy multiple things and in fact what i'm going to do is i'm going to do it now live on air not that it's uh you know uh audio friendly but a package just arrived i'm not kidding about three minutes ago so i'm Uh, I'm live unboxing here we come Live unboxing for audio. How does that work? Not well, I imagine. Oh, so, Isn't oh yeah, it like here we go. Christmas Opened it up. when something arrives in the mail. Oh my yep. word, it's the yep. best. The toy shop comes to you. Two figures in this package. One is a Black Series Princess Leia Organa Hoth outfit. The facial mm-hmm. printing here looks fantastic. I mean, I'm no expert in the world of toys at all, so uh, you know, I don't. I could be speaking horrendously wrong, but this looks. Looks looks really nice. Um, okay, and then there's one more figure in this box. Who did I get this from? This is from In Demand Toys, and oh, it's a Marvel Legends Uncanny X Force Deathlock figure. Ooh, um, you a fan of Deathlock? But yeah, I am a fan of Deathlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That looks nice. Um, pictures will go up on the socials. Uh, apologies, that is not Joe related. That last little bit. But uh, <laughs> what have you been up to, my friend? Chief scores. Oh man. You know, I think about absolutely every bit of content that this episode could possibly throw my way, except uh, an <laughs> adequate way of answering that question. What have I been up to? <sighs> Not much, Chief. Punching the clock, man. Just doing the day by day. Shall we move on to snacks? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, snacks. Potato chips, crisps, biscuits and candy. Washing them down with a whiskey or a brandy. Chewy sweets, cookies, built around jerky. Snacks running fear because we got them at our mercy. We're snackers, attackers, bad mother truckers, and we're eating all the crackers, munchers, crunchers, knockout snacks like we're heavyweight punchers. The snack police are in the his out. Calimera, Calispera, Calinichta. You know something about me, S. Jobs, the South African boy living in Australia, but do you know that I'm actually Greek? <laughs> For this episode? No, I'm Greek. I really am Greek. Okay. No jokes, okay? So, uh, today's snack is inspired by the Greek islands in the Mediterranean. I'm going to drop the accent. But, uh, it <laughs> I like uh, <laughs> They are chips made in Australia, but the flavor is tzatziki. And when you said you were going to drop the accent, you did it again immediately. I know, right? Well, <laughs> before it goes to Italian. Sorry, like the Mediterranean, you know, you're splitting hairs there. But, okay, I make a killer tzatziki, chief. Let me just say, like full fat Greek yogurt, cucumber, yep. a lot of garlic, some lemon juice, buddy. I-, I will not be ashamed to blow my own trumpet here. I'm good okay. at making the bloody tzatziki. So when I saw tzatziki flavored like potato chips, mm. I was like, no, no you're, you're pulling my leg. You're pulling my <laughs> plonker. You, <laughs> you are not buzzing nice. my berries. So this is set up to fail, I'm afraid. But I'm going to rip this bag and give it a sniff. As I've said before, my sense of smell sucks. But here we go. Okay. Hmm. I'm not getting much of anything other than savory. Okay. No, Just man. a generic savory taste. I'm not getting that cucumber cool or that creaminess of the the yogurt. I'm not getting much of the roasted, well, not even roasted garlic. It should be fresh garlic, to be honest. Um, nah, buddy. Mm. One thumb, no thumbs. 
look, they're as Moorish as a as a potato chip will ever be. But uh, in of terms course. of authenticity to the Greek flavor of the tzatziki, it's no thumbs, my friend. I tell you who no you sound thumbs. like. You sound like uh, Watto from Phantom Menace. Yeah, well, he was trying to um, <laughs> uh, spoof or send up my people. You know, that's why <laughs> me and the prequels do not uh, walk the same path. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Very anyway, good. snap us out of this this, this parody. I uh, I have I sent you a picture and I'll post these up on the socials uh, probably about three weeks later. <laughs> I imagine as this seems to be the only thing that I can't seem to get timestamp right putting up snacks. But anyway, um, I am munching on a bit of birthday cake. It was the chief dog's kid's birthday yesterday, uh, celebrating the big five. And uh, the Mrs. Chief made a Frozen 2 Elsa cake. And um, I am just now going to have a slice of this. It's just a plain vanilla sponge, but she makes a good cake. Very moist. A little bit of buttercream around the outside. But, um, and a very yeah. impressive design. I mean, it is the dress that Elsa uh, cocoons herself in, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that is basically, it was a, just an Elsa doll with her dress taken off. So then the missus made, obviously, the big bottom of the dress, but also Edible. the sleeves are, the sleeves are rolled, icing the top, Oof. all the, all the sequins, all the diamonds and stuff on it. So, so you literally and eat the clothes off of a Disney princess. Um, you got it. You got it, baby. There's a very adult angle waiting to happen there. <laughs> but I've just been looking at your pictures of your Black Series Princess Leia. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, the just facial them, yeah. printing is incredible. Those same figures are available at like Walmarts currently or the South African. Oh, the Australian equivalent of Walmart, the Big right. W store, um, I've seen them going on, but on a sort of a vintage style record. Yes, yeah, so what yeah. they've done is they've they've released um, 40th anniversary Empire Strikes Back. That's it. So they're on yeah. like the old school blister card. But yes, it, I think they're pretty much the same mm. figure. So they, they, they might have been a few very tiny upgrades, but uh, essentially the same figure. But I got this one for nine quid. Oh, excellent. So, well, not yeah, who needs the packaging that? anyway? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Though, speaking, yeah. I mean, just, just as a straw poll, would you would you prefer the vintage card backs or are you just going to chuck it out anyways? I probably won't throw away the packaging for this. Oh, uh, what are you talking f- about, Chief? Black Series packaging is the most throwaway packaging ever created, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> It's totally take it or leave it. It's a nice filing system if you're the kind of guy who likes to slip his figures back into the box for for sort of storage. But yeah. if you're like me who likes easy access to your action figures, it's like there is nothing to that packaging that makes it stand out. It's literally a, a numbering system, a filing system. I guess. I guess. There's no artwork, there's no photography, there's no collect them all on the back, I don't think. No, no, there is yeah. a nice, I'm going to send you now, there is a nice um, picture on the back of the Bosque one. Ah, let me just, good. Let me just send, because this is like, the, but the Bosque one's in kind of like an archive packaging, so it's kind of a mix between the traditional blister style with just the card and then the, the plastic and the Black Series box, so let me just send you that one. Hey, Chief, um, no pressure or anything, but uh, two thumbs up for your missus's cake? Oh, yeah, two thumbs up, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure she listens um, to exactly ten minutes of this podcast. <laughs> and, no, and definitely not the bit before it. Um, <laughs> 300 squids, oh dear. 
Anyway, uh, we're here to really talk about some comics, so let's go to Comic Talk. Bring it in. It's Comic Talk, it's Comic Talk, baby. Chief and Steve discussing like crazy. Larry Harmer riding these bad boys, making sense of the wackiest toys. Listen as we talk about story arcs, making noise louder than junkyard box, talking about character motivations and all the various G.I. Joe fun locations. Okay, so we are discussing this week issues 216, 217 and 218. Yep, we're this is multiplying our issue count, man. Yeah, it's going up. Yeah. Coming off the back of the four-issue haul we did last week with our superb guest, uh, Shannon Gallant, which was very nice to have him on. And, um, yeah, this is a new story arc called Cobra Rising. So, hmm, uh, let's have a look at the covers. 216, I've got the regular Gallant cover here, which is Cobra Commander on his Cobra throne and uh, looking a bit maudlin, looking a bit kind of, I don't know. Or does he look menacing? Look, I'll say this much about about CC being presented like this. This is how I like my Cobra Commander. I've said it before, I'm not a fan of him, you know, meandering around the boardwalk at Broker Beach or uh, wearing his beret in Rancho Cobra or getting his ass kicked in Ballsack, Sacramento. Uh, this is how I like my, my Cobra Commander served, you know, dollop of menace. Yep. Um, yep. And, and, and Shannon delivers that. You do not want to be in this audience chamber. No, no, definitely. Mm. That's, a, you know, not. it's one of those kind of sparse covers, but does a lot, does a lot with it. Um, there's another couple of covers here. There's a subscription variant by Andy Suriano, Real American Hero lettering down the side. It's I can't really tell what's going on. Is it shipwreck and a bat on a on a boat? Yeah, he is referencing a comic from 1950. Right. Crazy man. Yeah, wow. the uh, the two fisted tails, and <laughs> down the side of that one, hilariously, it says He Man Adventure. All right. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, not referring to Masters of the Universe, but yeah, similar no. framing. There's a sort of a sailor on a vessel, and uh, he's being overshadowed in the foreground by pirate-looking fellow with a, a hook, and he says, "Here I am, you bilge rat, and I'm going to wrap that ugly hook around your neck." <laughs> so yeah, man, I I don't know what the origin is, but I find it very funny that. On the original cover, it says 10 cents. <laughs> and right, then on the yeah. sort of the, the reference cover, it says 399 cents. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> nice touch. I quite like it. It's kind of, uh, you know, very stylized and very pulpy after the yeah. original material. Yeah, very pulpy. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Mm, and there's a the Larry Harmer one, which is kind of of a theme of the of the regular one but this time you've got is it snake eye or sean punching cobra commander or got him around the neck i can't really tell neither can i chief don't have that cover to hand uh, okay. and it's in my scans there did i say scans i mean in my digital uh, <laughs> yeah unfortunately the quality is not sufficient to zoom yeah. in that and far. then there's a couple of baroness retailer exclusive ones always the baroness hey one is the action figure variant cover and then just kind of baroness looking sexy with some guns no one's but, pushing this agenda this is really just what guest co- cover artists always seem to kind of home in on yeah yeah always the baroness yeah um uh-huh. let's skip forward to 217 so regular cover here is uh actually by paolo villanelli who does the interior art for these three issues and he's kind of got 
some ninjas. So we've got uh, Storm Shadow, Sean and Timber 3, I guess. Or is it a flashback to the original Snake Eyes? I'm not sure, because this scene doesn't take place. Either way, I like the simplified uniforms. It's something that, like, you don't get away with on a toy book if you're doing toy accuracy. But since Paolo is the new guy, he's got a very clean style. Very, like, scratchy, like, cross-hatching. I like this cover, Chief. Yeah. Very, very cool. It's nice. Mm. And then there's a subscription cover by Gallant, and this is Destro and Baroness. Again, not really reflective of the issue, but, you know, just kind of a nice posing cover, I guess. I can't decide if Baroness looks attractive or kind of mannish. But, uh, yeah, very seductive but opposing. Love the um, scaling that we see with Destro. He's got that big old, like, amulet. But the wrist rockets are looking very, like, slimmed down. They're not dominating his wrist. They're very dart-like. I like that. Details on point, man. Shannon, we know this guy. He's he's incredible. Yeah, yeah, he's he's amazing. He's amazing. And then there's a retailer exclusive, which is another one of these uh, toy toy variants with the figure storm shadow in the in the kind of blister pack yeah uh he seems to be minus one accessory which is advertised in the artwork but not in the blister he doesn't have his bow man no nope, damn nope. Yeah. key key and 218 regular cover by paolo villanelli which is okay i mean not a lot of background well zero background going on here but you've got scarlet and sean who looks like they're engaged in a firefight sean looks like he's on one knee or that maybe we should be calling him snake eyes but someone gets reprimanded in this in this issue or in some of these issues for calling him sean instead of calling him snake eyes actually i don't follow the action i don't understand what sean is doing there what is he doing i think it's maybe take a stealer maybe he's taking a hit or something and he's fallen down onto scarlet not sure Maybe. I don't know. That's not a lightsaber. It's not like he can like deflect bullets or laser blasts by... I don't think so. I don't think so. Swinging it around <laughs> um, in her vicinity. <laughs> uh, Gallant is doing the subscription cover, which is the Ghost Rider, which is a uh, Ghost Rider in the stealth. Sorry. Now, I've got a problem with this, Chief. Uh, he's yep. taking off from the pit um, kind of catapult system, which yep. I'm dying to know how it functions. More on that later. But how is it that for such a sort of exciting, energetic activity, he makes it look so sedate. You know, doesn't it look <laughs> like Ghost Rider's just having a little, like, Sunday drive? A little chortle along, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he doesn't have his mask up. He's chilling like a villain. Like, that's he should have just been it. rocketed into his seat as yeah. this thing accelerates from zero yeah. to, to you know, basically a velocity that could take it, you know, straight into flight. Yeah, um, yeah definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got another couple of retailer exclusives. It says Portland, Oregon in the background, and we've got Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes just about to throw down. Then there's another sexy Baroness one. Yep. That's all I've got to say about that. Crowd pleaser. Now, Portland, I suppose that must be Rose City. That's what Americans call Rose City. Okay. It says it's for the Rose City Comic Con. Right, right, got it. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, That's just Steve being a bonehead. American listeners, please uh, correct me. Feel free. (laughs) (laughs) Right, digging into the meat inside. Before we do that, we need a catch-up, and for that we need to know, last time on A Real American Hero. With Snake Eyes dead, Hawk recruits the injured Sean Collins to take over the mantle of the Ninja Warrior. 
Meanwhile, Cobra strikes against G.I. Joe when they are weak, sending a team of Night Creepers to the High Sierras to kill Scarlet and the new Snake Eyes. Mm. Okay, so we should also note that, obviously written by Larry, but we've got Paolo Villanelli, who's done some covers here, as the artist for these three issues on the interiors with Jay Brown on colours. So Paolo's obviously penciling and inking his own work here. And I think overall... When I read these issues this morning and I wrote notes, I didn't write a fantastic amount of notes because I don't know if I've got a massive amount to say about these issues, really. It was, I don't know, a bit meh overall, I think, although there was some nice bits going on, but it's it's clearly set up for the for the big Cobra World Order storyline, or whatever it's called. Is that what it's called? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, that's coming up Um you know post this post this little arc what what's your overall thoughts of this little three three issue cobra rising well don't worry chief uh steve can always uh bring up the balance of notes because <laughs> i wrote a lot um oh, wow. though at the same time I, you know i'm not gonna uh, get us uh bogged down hopefully didn't mind it uh the shift in art is welcome though you can see yes. you know this guy's just started on the book like the kind of fidelity that that Shannon achieved over the course of his many, many, many issues. In fact, it seemed like he had the magic touch straight out the gate, if, if we're honest. Yeah, definitely. Paolo is finding his feet, and and that's okay, man. As I said, fresh blood. There's a kind of energy to his panels that uh, that is exciting. Yeah, it felt a little bit more superhero-y in the art kind of style, but I don't necessarily think that is always a bad thing but i think also it felt larry's writing was a lot more not necessarily you know he wasn't writing superheroes in the in these issues but it did feel it just felt different larry's writing definitely felt different in these three issues to, to i think i know what you're talking about chief there are yeah? two lengthy internal monologue sequences the first is our night creeper leader and the second is a sequence by storm shadow now, famously, yes. Larry is very light on, I mean, he never, he, well, I say never, but he hardly ever uses uh, thought bubbles. But yes. when you yep. put a character's internal monologue or thoughts into boxes, that's effectively thought bubbling anyway. And so he's got the Night Creeper telling his story, uh, I suppose, in reported speech. That's that's not quite internal monologue. He's saying these things to Cobra Commander and he's reliving them in his memory. But when we get to Storm Shadow, that is straight up like we're reading his thoughts. We've got that yes. kind of omniscient view. And that's something that like, I think it was only used once. Like, I think there's one thought bubble that Cobra Commander has in like the teens of the run, if I'm remembering right, okay. correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. And yeah, never that's, used that's again. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a different shift in style, man. You're, you're not wrong. And also, just small things like the fact that we see this Night Creeper leader at the beginning unmasked. That was something, mm. you know, have we seen any Night Creepers without their masks on prior to this? Well, yes, the Night Creeper so. leader. <laughs> uh, do you remember? It oh, was did in we? The hun- yeah, man. There was a character called Night Creeper leader introduced and dispatched in the same issue. I think it was in Trucial Abysmia. Um, the ninjas right. are kind of creeping over the, no, it's got to be later than that to, to line up with the action figure release. But I think it's the ninja force are kind of creeping over the rooftops. Uh, Snake Eyes encounters this right. guy and he kind of, 
<laughs> he, he, he monologues out, out loud to himself about how masterful Snake Eyes is. Or how yep. potentially masterful he could be. That like, oh, he can't possibly do this unless he is as good as this. Or he can't possibly do that unless he... And ultimately, this guy just gets defeated by his own kind of monologuing. I mean, right, he right. gets dispatched very easily. But he is the Night Creeper leader. He walks around with a, a bandana basically tied around his eyes. Okay. So kind of a blind master riff there. Yeah. And is yeah. it ringing any bells, Chief? No, obviously I've read that issue multiple times, but no, it's ringing no bells. <laughs> but yeah, he looks nothing like Night Creepers. So I was going to applaud Shannon and then again Paolo for integrating this guy a bit more into the kind of the, the Night Creeper uniform. But yeah. And this is yeah. a recurring theme that I have with Paolo's artwork. For the leader of this unit of Night Creepers, this guy looks like a teenager. Yes. Yeah. His characters yes. look cherubic. They look very... They're drawn very young. He has a very youthful style. Like, this is not New Mutants. This is not... This is not. Th- these aren't a bunch it's of not kids. Teen Titans, yeah. Teen Titans or... Oh, what's the one? The the, the Warriors? Um, new Warriors? New Warriors. That, that ruffled some feathers at the beginning of this year. Uh, I've just been digging into some news about Snowflake and Safe Space and all that jazz. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You won't get that time back. No comment. And even Storm Shadow, who, like, you know, he he is a veteran. He's worked for Cobra. He's worked for Joe. He should be showing a little bit more age, but he looks like a child. You know, my wife loves to say, black don't crack and Asian don't raisin. <laughs> uh, she gets away with murder, but um, in this case, I think there should be at least a little some some kind of distinguishing mark on a uh, you know slightly creased yeah, forehead, yeah. perhaps when it comes to Mr. Storm Shadow. I I do want as a couple of points early on. Number one, it's clear that Larry really likes Mindbender because he's been pretty much him and Cobra Commander have almost been a a tag team, you know, a a, a comedy duo over the last several years they, they've you don't really see one without the other so you know that's clearly coming from larry but also i was thinking mindbender seems to be very prominent as his second in command on a kind of battlefield tactical level as well because mindbender's kind of leading the charge when we see snake eye the new snake eyes attacking cobra commander and then trying to escape we see mindbender leading the troops and i was thinking would he really be the one that would be the, the second in command or the, the field leader but then I was thinking well who else is there there's, there's no really anyone else in the hierarchy because Baroness has gone Destro's gone Zartan's gone Storm Shadow's gone so all of Cobra Commander's kind of big wigs have all left and it's really only Mindbender that, that's the only one there now yeah man looking at those panels now it's a big callback to issue 21 where Destro leads the charge up the stairs to the parapets of the side yeah, of the castle. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, Mindbender ain't Destro. So if you draw that parallel exactly one for one, th- it doesn't work, man. Mindbender should be in, like, the control room, like, should be in yes, the lab. Commander, yeah. we have dispatched the troops. Yeah, mm. yeah, but like I say, who else yes, is there? Commander, <laughs> we have dispatched the troops. Sorry, he's kind of Mediterranean in his yes, portrayal is. in the cartoon. He's got that big, broad accent. Yeah. And mm. why wouldn't... Uh, what are we going to call him? Are we Are going to call him Sean or are we going to call him Snake Eyes? 
Sean Throwdown, I don't know. Do you want okay. Scarlet to crack you in the neck for not referring to him as Snake Eyes? We need to keep the illusion, Chief. Okay, so why wouldn't Snake Eyes Mark II <laughs> have killed the Commander? This is almost reminiscent of that issue, what is it, 150? Or, no, what's the one? 101, maybe? 101, sorry, yeah, where Snake Eyes has him, doesn't he, a knife at his throat in the Cobra Consulate building in New York. Or is it 111? I don't know. I had that issue as a child. I read it so many times, the cover fell off, but I never took note of the issue number. Anyway, we all know which issue you're referring to, Chief, I should hope. And um, Mark Bright drawn penciled i think and that's it you know cobra he has cobra commander at his mercy it's basically a warning isn't it stay off don't attack any of our uh, our guys or we'll come seeking revenge and it was almost like well is the threat bigger than actually offing cobra commander um or is was snake eyes playing by the rules whereas here i think sean just newly introduced to the outfit probably doesn't have that same uh level of I don't know, you know, it just strikes me that he he would have taken the chance to, to off Cobra Commander here, but didn't. <laughs> Snake Eyes and Cobra Commander within a couple of issues of each other. Yeah, yeah. That would certainly be revolutionary, a real shake-up. Oh, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> we will come on to the Snake Eyes issue at the tail end of this podcast. Um, but this, this, yeah, a scene like this is definitely ammunition that I'm going to draw upon later and it's something that Chris would often harp on. It's like you're yeah. that close to the big snake. Just yes. just lean in, man. Just just yeah, pull out yeah. your, your sharp pointy thing and press it into his head. Yeah, there you That's go. It. One one thing one thing that I did like, and I don't know if this is used as a differentiating factor between Snake Eyes One and Snake Eyes Two, but you see quite a lot of scenes already we've seen scenes of Sean using notepad and pen to, you know, communicate, which <laughs> we never actually saw Snake Eyes do. Why do, apart from that one in issue, what is it, se- se- five, uh, four, Wingfields. Wingfield one. And then Snake letters Eyes from Snake Eyes. Um, and then Chief, it's because uh, no really one's developed, him. it's because no one's developed that telepathy link with Sean yet. You know how like right, Scarlet okay. or Stalker would always do the talking for Snake Eyes? They they somehow yes. knew what he was getting at. Uh, they could kind of interpret his his body language perhaps. And they would of often like, like monologue entire speeches of things that they're saying on Snake Eyes' behalf. Well, thank yeah. goodness those days are over. Because I do like the, the notion that Sean carries around a pen and a pad. Yeah, and for when he absolutely, like, when the need to express himself wells up in him to the point where he has to write something or communicate something, he does so. And it's, it's believable. Did they find the bodies of my family? Like, that's some, some pretty chilling shit. You've just completed a successful, successful mission. I guess it was. He escaped with his life after getting into Cobra's inner sanctum. Uh, And he finds out that his foster family, including Wade Collins, have been vaporized. But uh, he knows better. It's a nice touch. And I think Larry had to do something to separate him. Look, he's put him in albeit slightly changed costume he's given him the severed vocal cords he's given him the disfigured face so he is he's he's in a rashikage ninja he's you know what other differentiating parts are there but you know the guy uses a notepad and pen instead of telepathy there you go that's your that's your change 
Um, <laughs> I'll tell you who else gets introduced here. We get reintroduction of Jerry, and he's got my favourite line of dialogue when they're putting <laughs> in Malta, they're putting together this crack squad of all these departments. And uh, Jerry McCarthy from, from Republic of Ireland is back, the Irish Defense, Department of Defence. And he says, I've worked with the Joes in Dublin. You can attest to their capabilities in going mano a mano department. Apologies <laughs> to everyone of, of Irish uh, descent out there. No, mate, you killed it. Well done. Oh, that but scene. That scene he can attest incredible. to the mano a mano department. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, they used this guy called Russ Sheath as the SAS representative. Got to be Russ Heath, surely. I thought that was a reference to Russ Heath. But it turns be. out there is a Russ Sheath in comic books. Uh, okay. Co-creator with Brian Hitch of America's Got Powers. All right, I think okay, he's a yeah. writer. Image book. I don't know, man. You're the guy who knows comics. No, America's Got guy. Powers. Mm-hmm. America's Got Powers was written by Jonathan Ross. Um, well, then I don't know what I'm talking about, British Chief. But like, sitcom host. I googled it, and it was it. He came up with some, you know, there's some reference to Russ Sheath. But okay, I thought to myself, like, why the hell aren't they using like? Since they are unafraid of working in the red shadows, why not draw on a actual named SAS character yeah. from Palitoy? Like, <laughs> damn yeah. it, I've just forgotten yeah. the names. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Damn. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's all I, on you. I need to get back on my Battle Action Force reread. But uh, the SAS stories are the best of the right. lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and here, when each one of the the people here is introducing the are introducing themselves, they all give a big spiel. Apart from Mister <laughs> Sheath, who just says, "I'm Russ Sheath, SAS." That's all you need to know, basically. Well, he doesn't say oh, that's all you need to know, but I'm saying that's all you need to know. Yeah, no, that introduction round is laughable. It's very much like a sort of a wink at the audience, like I am so and so from such and such. It's like, yeah. no, I'm pretty sure Hawk would have been pretty well briefed on who the heck you are, like. This is for our benefit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, so it's it was after reading that first issue, it was kind of difficult to know what's really going on here in terms of this is a three part story. It's been called Cobra Rising. We haven't really seen much in the way of Cobra's plots or schemes. We've just seen effectively the Joes assembling a, a multinational team to to thwart what we don't really know is happening, and then we do get in the, the next issue. Duke and who is it? Psych out, effectively having the conversation that we have every single week, where they just ask all the questions: What's Cobra's master plan? Was that giant robot project the main thing? <laughs> Why did Cobra Commander ally Cobra with Revanche and the Black Major? What happened to Destro's relationship with Destro and Zartan? The real question is: Why Cobra going completely underground? Why abandon Rancho Cobra? Where did they all go? So it's kind of like they're asking all the same questions that we are. It's a wonder that they're ever able to successfully complete their danger room training when they have that much banter. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Come on, buddy. Keep your eye on the holographic bullets that are currently flying. Hey, yes. yeah. they've got back to tanks that can heal like eyes that are effectively removed from their sockets. And they've got danger rooms for, you know, holographic immersion into like combat scenes. Yeah, this is what G. I'm G. saying. It's getting teched up, man. It's going a lot more superhero-y, I think, with, with all this. It, it felt less like a G.I. Joe story arc, these three issues to me. Um, but you do get, it, it is time, if you've still got it on tap, it's time to revisit an old jingle, an oldie but goodie, because 
There's some G.I. Joe fashion going on here. Ooh. Armani, Prada, Versace too. Joe's changed their outfits from black to blue. Duke and Hawk, look but don't gawk. Changing their kit, whoa, was that legit? Swapping camo jackets, headgear and boots. It's now neon colours and funky space suits. Sci-fi stalker and even roadblocks. While Bill, Flint and Mutt gave me a shot. So go take a walk if clothes aren't your passion. Because it's comic book talk and lovely G.I. Joe fashion. We've got some uh, we've got some new Alley Viper uniforms. We've also got some new Iron Grenadier uniforms later on as well. So at least two, two lots of uniform changes loving the redesign on the techno viper helmet that's pretty cool right yes of course yeah yeah and well. the holographic pads that um duke and Sycard are rocking that's something new as well that's a zartan trope but it seems gi joe finally jumped on the bandwagon chief this is all to do with the new art um this these are not okay th- except from the alley vipers recolor Yes. Which was actually like Ali Viper got a a kind of a deep red skin, sort of red and black color scheme around about this time. That has precedent in the toy line. Everything else, I think, are deviations just because we're dealing with a new artist and his okay, adherence right. to the toys isn't as strict. Right. Okay. We also yeah. get a uh, Larry Harmerism with another sucking chest wound. <sighs> Poor old psychart, man. Uh, <laughs> do you think the Alley Vipers are using their shields correctly? Or was their their AI in the uh, um, holographic reproduction not, not, not great? I mean, if you're um, jumping out of cover and you've got a shield in your hand, keep the shield up. Yeah, it wouldn't be down to your side, would it? Yeah, man. Those prongs... In or those barbs, I should say, in the Alley Viper's shield, apart from being a great sort of bludgeoning tool or like poking tool, attacking like spearing tool, um, those barbs create a nice hollow, a nice kind of alcove for yeah, you to yeah. rest your weapon. And you can actually peer over the one on the other side. I know I, I like to uh, display my Alley Vipers like that. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, missed opportunity there to show an Ali Viper advancing with a shield up in front of his weapon and the sort of the barrel peeking over the top. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Something else I'd like to comment on. Please we do. open with uh, this sequence that I was talking about with a very cherubic looking Tommy. And this is something that I wanted to raise earlier. Now, we're led to believe that the Arashi Kage Dojo is basically under siege by a bunch of robots. Okay? Yes. Blue ninjas. Correct. And it occurred to me during those sequences of like, you know, nonstop battling inside the dojo, like they're fighting robots. We're still dealing with flesh and blood humans in Granny, Demon Granny, Tommy Raymond, is it? and R- Raymond, yeah, and Jinx. Now, <laughs> if those guys need to sleep, as I'm sure they must, and eat and every other human function, like surely the robots can just wait them out? Like, would it not have been prudent for, like, the Orochikage to, like, disperse? I don't know how defensible yes. their position could be. Um, and it's just made clear by the fact that we open with all of them fast asleep. And Tommy's, like, monologuing to himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's totally sound asleep. They are deep, deep, deep sleep. I'm the only one who's hearing all the sounds outside. So I'm like, ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> Larry? You create the logic of your world, then you poke <laughs> holes in it, and then you plunge right through those holes, brother. Yeah, yeah. And is there any significance to to the Zartan Tommy scene in terms of 
have we've not really been leading up to this encounter it feels a little bit out of the blue clearly there's something that larry had in mind because i mean it's all about zartan giving this family blade back to the arashikage but he's referencing things that i don't remember the partner blade to this is is not significant to us in any kind of major plot reason like yeah i think snake eyes has the other one so yes I suppose there's symmetry in both sword brothers having like identical blades but like oh man martial art mumbo jumbo typically is kind of cool but yeah. I don't see how it adds anything and Maybe. also it kind of gets me scratching my head like Zartan references a, a, an incident on top of a building in Manhattan now this is a great time when like an editorial note would have been very helpful like saying Remember, that was in issue 107, a Denny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe they can't reference stuff from Marvel. Good shout. But I can't even tell if this happened in IDW or before. Like, the stuff yeah. that Zartan's referring to, like, a little asterisk with a teeny tiny little one-line explanation would have helped. Yeah, that would have been nice. Point. You know, we, we know that Larry's not shy on exposition, as we've seen in these very issues, so... You know, he could have added a little bit more uh, background, but maybe it was just, you know, him wanting to tie up something that he had either dangled previously or maybe not. Maybe it was just something he was like, I want to do this. Let's just get it done now, out the way, clear the board for what's coming. Because another thing that has been cleared the board is seems to be the secret location at the pit, because <laughs> that has now just been buried underground, I presume never to be spoken of again. Yeah, man. Like, in the same breath, they're saying we should keep this weapon online just in case we need to bring in the big guns. But then they're also like, we're covering it with so much concrete that you'd have to completely destroy the pit to get at it. Yeah. I'm not, I, I was confused at that point as well. Confusing all around. Yeah. We, we also get, um, to, at the end of this issue, we get the scene with Snake Eyes Mark II and Scarlet on the ferry, which is again, a callback to previous issues so you, you mentioned the issue 21 with the chasing snake eyes up the of the parapets and this is again uh, an issue where you know we've seen it a couple of times actually scarlet and snake eyes on the ferry and larry's kind of drawing on that and scarlet doesn't want to let go because she's asking him to kind of stand at the edge of the ferry a bit longer how do you feel about the way that relationship is unfolding well, this I think this is around the time when I stopped reading. Now, I have all these single issues. So I carried on getting it month to month, but I think this is about the time when, for some reason, I stopped. I stockpiled and just never got around to reading them. So I think what I'm about to read is all new to me for the first time round going forward now. And well, let me I ask a more pointed question. I don't Do know. Do you feel Do that there's a romantic inclination? Or is Scarlet just being sentimental? Yeah, I don't I don't read into that at this moment in time, no. I think you could. I, th I think it's probably a 50-50 one that you could say yes or no, and I'm not going to disagree either way. But I, from a story point of view, I think it'd be super weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we always eschew the, the ages of characters in these books, but like... You know, Snake Eyes and Scarlet basically knew Sean when he was a child. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, man. It, it's interesting. I must say, like, in another world, like, exploring this kind of weird 
relationship would be would be something that would definitely keep my interest up but it yeah. would be out of place in gi joe a real american hero yeah, it would possibly. be weird but i i'm i'm interested in entertaining the idea at least in my own head canon yeah yeah i think it'd be interesting uh you know if nothing else definitely definitely uh <laughs> anything else to say on 217 before we move on mate let's move on because wow did this storyline just take a Left turn, man. I have. <laughs> I've only got. I've only got one note, one one line of of of, of text for notes on issue two one eight two eighteen, and it's the line that says, "Wait a minute, Ghost Rider is known for sneaking up on people?" Question mark. Because God, someone mentioned. Chief. Someone mentioned. I oh, read his file card when we did Steve talks toys. I know it was yonks ago, but it happened. And in that file card, yes, it is. It is one of his traits. Just oh, is not it being noticed? Yeah, no, oh, not yeah. being noticed. But yeah, I suppose yeah. I, I guess I read the line of dialogue that he's always waiting around the corner to jump out and prank prank people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's I guess that's look. The file card kind of makes it seem like his entire philosophy of life is to not be noticed, and this yeah. Larry does with a number of characters, like Xandar, for instance. In fact, he's so unnoticeable, oh, yeah. he's disappeared into obscurity, never to be yeah, seen yeah, again. Yeah, of course. Good I've riddance. never even thought about him for ages. Yeah, amazing. It's working, Chief. <laughs> Do you know that he's in, like, every issue? Which is not true. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, look, that is part of Ghost Rider's character, if you could call it that. It's an attribute that he has, and so that related to him being a sneaky, sneaky stealth pilot. Of course, none of his stealth capabilities inside the jet are being showcased here because we have a dogfight issue chief we are going high into the danger zone baby i'm a sucker for a dogfight issue and i'll be honest i thought this one was really boring i just could not get into this issue (laughs) at all well you're stacking it up against uh, shakedown and showdown aren't you Uh, yeah i just can't just i don't know i'm just i'm flicking through the pages now and i'm just like no, I just I don't see why I would ever read this issue again. <laughs> Chief, Go on. do you want to continue with this podcast? Or should we just talk about toys? Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> talk about this comic, uh, tell me why it's good. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, first, a nitpick. Night Raven fins uh, are actually, they bend outwards, not inwards. Okay, yep. Yeah, good so spot. Paolo, foul on that one. Sorry, Paolo. Uh, his fidelity to the Night Raven is pretty all over the place. His fidelity to the X, uh, the yeah, the X nineteen is pretty good. Uh, I must yeah, say, it does look like, good. It does look good. He, he you know, it, I suppose its rounded edges are are of assistance to his style, which is less um, hard line um, and and is more rounded. So that helps. You know, it, it's genuine. It's it's general geometry is of assistance to the art style. But uh, the Night Raven is a bit all over the shop. Like the canard wings, the nose, the yep. intakes, the the exhausts, uh, the wings themselves. Yep. It feels to me like he had two versions of the Night Raven warring for his his reference, because mm. there was a Night Raven produced in the Rise of Cobra toy line. Ah, okay, that's interesting. But it was a stumpy little little thing. Yeah, definitely not on the same grandeur and scale as the original. I'm going to interject here. I read these issues about an hour ago. I, I've forgotten already what this Cobra master plan was. They've sent this... 
is it is it just my favorite line of dialogue which is in the last page where uh, they say, congratulations, you did an excellent job. They're talking to the Stratoviper, considering that the Night Raven you were supplied with had been downgraded in performance and capabilities to allow longer and more informative interactions with the G.I. Joe aircraft. Holy moly, that is um, some kind of crazy tactical planning. But was that the sole purpose of this Cobra mission, to learn more about Joe aircraft, or was he trying to do something else? Will we ever know? I mean, that's the reason that that is stated. You could take okay. it as red, or you could take it as there's something else underlying this. Uh, I like the idea that there's there are layers of deception, and even the the audience, us, the reader, are not privy to all the answers. But uh, that is a pretty on the nose statement from old CC. Right. Um, okay. I do have a problem with the logic of it, though. If you want a longer aerial engagement, why would you downgrade the capabilities of your jet? Yeah, surely you'd I can make assure it better. you that your opponent. Yeah, I can assure you that the Joes are not sending up a half-cocked X-19. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if you want it to be over in seconds, that's when you downgrade your. I don't know your speed, your weapons, your your sensor suite. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> okay, okay. What notes of of merit do I actually have here? Okay, well, mm, nitpick. Um, Ghost Rider's action figure at least has a red scarf, not a yellow scarf. Okay, whatever. Um, okay. <laughs> here's a logic thing. So they say that if you have to crash land or ditch, terrible omen to discuss that. Yes. You know, um, <laughs> while the guy's boarding his plane, uh, they say this to Ghost Rider that the tomahawk will take five hours to reach you, and by that stage, obviously, hypothermia will have claimed you. Yep. Now, realistically speaking, if you use the Chinook as an analog for a tomahawk, now okay. Chinook is is a bigger helicopter, but you know we'll we'll just massage the numbers a little bit and say that the tomahawk has a similar range to um, a real world inspiration for it. Anyway, it would only have as about two and a half hours of flight time without refueling. Okay, wow. And they say that the tomahawk would be would have to fly for five hours to reach this dogfight zone this this conflict zone so is the tomahawk like packing double fuel in which case it would only have enough fuel to get there and then not for the return trip you see what i mean yeah right it's it's, that doesn't work a little bit problematic like the 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 range of the chinook is uh 400 nautical miles and its top speed is 170 knots so you know using the math that's like just over two hours worth of flight time anyways Whatever. Get over it, Stephen. Next point. Um, <laughs> this is something that I wanted to talk about uh, when, when referencing the cover earlier. On page seven, maybe six in your bind, yeah. um, we see the Phantom on its kind of launch platform. And it's about like the, the, the catapult is fully steamed up. It's ready to go. The artwork, like I really want to see how it launches out of the pit. Right. Okay. Really, really, I'm di- I'm dying to know the procedure for its launch, and the art just does not deliver, man. It's very abstract. It's very close up, and you don't see the the details. Yeah, a lot of speed lines, and suddenly it's airborne. I'm like, nah, man. What does it do? Is it literally spit out out of that hole? It's got no runway whatsoever. It's on a platform, and the platform ends literally in front of the nose of the aircraft. So it's not like an aircraft carrier with like a ramp, you know, launch ramp. It's not like that. There is no run-up. 
it's it's literally it comes off this rail and it's airborne so i don't know man spring-loaded missile firing action must be (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh it's got me scratching my head um love the redesign on the techno vipers it's not accurate to the toy or anything but uh paolo didn't do a bad job normally when we see like classic vipers helmets being reinterpreted it's a weaker design i like this kind of meshes with my understanding of like the devil's due era where things are slightly more like insect like and organic it's cool man yeah, sometimes that's a benefit of getting someone onto a new series, whatever it might be, not just Joe, that maybe hasn't. Well, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guessing here, but maybe he hasn't had that much exposure to the Joe universe before, and it almost gives you not an artistic license to do what you want, but you can potentially kind of stamp your own um, style onto something. And and sometimes here, like you said, you, you end up with something that is actually qu- quite cool looking. Oof. We get a little tease of something called Arctic Pterodrome 27. Chief, yes. I don't know about you, but I love I love stories set in the cold because the cold becomes your biggest enemy. And and it's kind of like both both Cobra and Joe are fighting the elements more than they're fighting one another. And so there's a kind of a an anxiety that that just permeates the whole story. Yes. Um agreed. and 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 great horror movies like The Thing are set in the frozen wastelands. So there is a much better story lurking in in this little hint that Cobra's got these bases secreted around the world in the frozen wastelands. It's, oh man, that's the story I want to read. (laughs) The Night Raven has guns in the front? What? It does now. It does now. And the X-19 is capable of shaking missiles. So dropping behind missiles that have kind of overshot it. Yes. And then when it sees that the missiles are going to hit a hapless passenger passenger liner, it's able to then re-overtake those missiles. Yeah, man. That's how how it works. (laughs) That's how it works. That's how it works, right? Okay, so a jet is capable of of dropping behind missiles and then then overtaking them. Missiles are not designed to be faster than the targets that they're meant to hit. Okay, cool. I just wanted to get that that set straight in our heads. (laughs) Okay, so I love the reveal at the end. As predictable as it may have been, that we get the drop on the Night, Night Raven part of the Strata Viper yep. and take his uniform. I still loved the reveal. But then, the whole time I'm thinking in the back of my mind, we had this huge foreshadowing about hypothermia setting in, what, what, what. <laughs> Not only was uh, Ghost Rider able to get the drop and and take out this Strata Viper, but then stripped down himself <laughs> and his opponent <laughs> and redress himself in this what can only be mind-numbing cold. Like, like literally, like daggers going through your skin. I don't know if you've ever taken off any items of clothing when you're in the snow, Chief. It's, yeah, it ain't fun, brother. Uh, I don't think I have, no. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I've got no, one on the done. Chief in the experience stakes there. Look, at least the jets were burning. Maybe he hunkered down to <laughs> the burning aviation fuel, jet fuel, and... Uh, and, and stayed toasty while he disrobed. Yes, And I think yes. that's all I've got on that. I mean, it was nice to see a dogfighting issue, and I think Larry had referenced that in one of the letters pages a few months Clearly back. Clearly he's that, taking requests. That, yeah. That's the upshot of this. 
Yeah, yeah, because it definitely was, wasn't it? It was mentioned and they had something in the works and maybe maybe it does, you know, I was maybe a bit harsh in it saying, why would I ever read this again? But, you know, I, I'm sure at some point I will reread all these IDW comics again, so it will get a reread. But it just, I think maybe that it, I was in the middle of a three-issue arc and this suddenly was just a single standalone issue that didn't feel like it was connected to the two previous issues in any way. Oh, absolutely. Total left turn. But it's more that fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants writing, man. Love yeah. it or hate it. Look, I didn't yeah, mind it, but go. it's definitely going to be a middling score if we do rate this stuff. Well, let's do it. Let's let's rate it. And we, we actually do <laughs> need to go back. And we need. I don't think we ranked last week's one, The Death of Snake Eyes. But what I'm proposing is I think there was a few issues that led into The Death of Snake Eyes, which we will also need to include. So let me go back and just kind of determine a, a, a kind of cut off to the start of that death of snake eye storyline um and then i'll come back to you for scores but on this particular one two sixteen to 218 what is your yo joeage please sir uh four four out of ten. Oh, f- no five okay fine four five would be a, a fa- failing grade uh the chief is coming in with a... I think I am also coming in with a five. <laughs> there you go. Any reason in particular? Just unmemorable. Just unmemorable, and I think it... Yeah, I, I, I I'm not going to say the artist did a bad job, because I think he was a good artist, but for me, it just felt... I'm so used to Gallant over the last X amount of issues that it just did shift a little bit towards non-G.I. Joey looking and and Larry's writing was not on top form here. I like the very basic commando look. It kind of feels to me like the art style of the Resolute. Okay, yeah, yeah. So shorts. Yeah, Snake Eyes in that is very no frills. Very like skin tight commando goggles, vented sort of mouth guard. Yep. Um, and this, this is that. I like that. I like yeah. the silent castle. Too bad the plot didn't really have a direction that was strong enough. And we have throwaway moments like all these assembled kind of intelligence operatives with Hawk and Baroness kind of very unsubtly watching them. And they get the drop on her. And then Destra gets the drop on them. And I'm like, this kind of circular stuff really doesn't go anywhere. It's like... Oh, we've got eyes on you, but we've got eyes on you, but we've got even more eyes on you, and we have bigger guns, so step off. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so middling, Chief. It's so inconsequential, you know? Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, it can you. only I'm get a five. I'm sorry. G.I. Joe gods, I'm sorry. Okay, well, it is what it is. Uh, we may see an improvement next time. Now, I'm thinking here, we've got a... Next up, we've got a uh, Cobra World Order prelude, like a one-shot... And then we've got the actual storyline. Is it? Is it eight issues? I don't even know. In the actual Cobra World order. Chief, um, we're in uncharted territory, man. We just got to let it roll over us. Done. So it's two issues next. It's the Cobra World order one shot. And then issue 219 is, is your assignment for next week. But uh, having talked comics, we need to talk toys. And you're the man to talk toys. So it's time for Steve Talks Toys. Steve talks about toys, ho ho. Steve talks about G.I. Joe. He talks about all the toys from the comic book and the animated show. Steve talks about toys. 
Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. <laughs> okay, Chief. It can only be one thing, right? Uh, I don't know if there's a Sean figure. <laughs> can it? I think it will be either the Night Raven or the Stealth. I think you've done well, the stealth, can... so I'm saying Night Raven. <laughs> I was about to say. And Chief, to answer your question about could it be Sean, well, since he slipped so seamlessly into Snake Eyes' role, effectively every Snake Eyes action figure is also a throwdown slash Sean Collins action there, figure. Yeah, because he's got the but... same 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 file name. Uh, classi- file name classified, I guess, on his file card. Ah, and uh, codename Snake Eyes, yeah. There you go. But you are indeed correct. It's time we talked about the Raven. Because there is no haven from the Cobra Raven. Oh, yeah, boy. You're looking at Cobra's new supersonic jet, the Raven. Cobra Raven. Cobra Raven. There's no haven from the Cobra Raven. New jet engine, a drop-down cockpit, a hidden bomb port. Now you know it's got twin rear guns and a one-man drone. And it's on the lookout for G.I. Joe. Oh, Chief, what a beauty. Oh, what a gorgeous plane. My word. Let me read to you the box blurb for some interesting information, some tidbits, perhaps. Yeah. This supersonic jet flies at three times the speed of sound, and its piggyback jet serves as a one-man reconnaissance craft. It's based on Cobra Command's top-secret designs, including some of the most sophisticated technology in Cobra's weapon arsenal. The pilots, I'll read you his file card as well, and so we get a nice smorgasbord of what this set was all about. Codename Stratoviper, Cobra Night Raven S3P pilot. The best secret agents in the world work for private corporations as industrial spies simply because big business pays better than any government. Cobra can attract some of the best pilots from around the globe to join the air wing of the Cobra Legions, known as the Air Vipers, by doubling and tripling their salaries. Air Vipers are formidable opponents, but the Strato Vipers are the creme de la creme. To qualify as a Strato Viper, a candidate must first be an Air Viper with 1500 hours logged in flight time. He must have a fixed wing rating up to 4 engines, combat experience, and an impeccable security clearance and be willing to undergo the surgical procedure necessary to make him more resistant to hypoxia, hyperventilation, and other decompression sicknesses that can affect a pilot above Armstrong's line. 63,000 feet. Yeah. Okay. Right. Where do you want to start? You didn't have it, did you, Chief? I didn't have it. No, no, no. No. I had the... Re-release. I had the Sky okay. Sky Patrol Sky Raven, which dolled the Night Raven up in chrome on the top portion, black underneath, took away the drone or the one-man reconnaissance craft, whichever you want to call right. it. But it was still an impressive set, and it felt like, to me, collecting G.I. Joe in the 90s, it felt like it came from a different toy line because of the like level of like engineering that went into it. It was amazing to park this thing next to what else I had at the time, which were things like, I don't know, the Shark 9000. Don't bother asking junk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Very kind of like far more flamboyant, like and less technical toy. So the, the Raven design, I mean, firstly, the fact that it has a lever that you slide to engage the front and rear landing gears. Magnificent. Rubber tires. 
there was just so much more value added to this set. And it was a big, big bird. In fact, I think right. the Night Raven is, is the longest of the jets. It could be the X-19. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, it's somewhere between the X-19, the Sky Striker, and the Night Raven. These boys are big. You definitely need two hands to, to play with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it can even be a pretty awkward piece for a child. I, I mean, I've only ever handled them as a kind of a uh, early teen and now an adult. But uh, it was a pretty mythical day when I got my, 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 my Night Raven for the first time. Nothing beats that original black with the red accents. Beautiful, beautiful. What's the shape. armament on here? I see quite a lot of missiles. Yeah, so it's got two pods on the wings that each deploy two missiles each. It's got a drop-down bomb bay, which, okay, questionable aerodynamic value to having something like that actually drop down mid-flight on a jet that supposedly goes at Mach 3. But, okay, that aside, there are two bombs located inside. Then there are two cannons, and the cannon face rearwards and acts like an air brake. That air brake is uh, manually operated. You can kind of flip it up with your fingers, and that also kind okay. of uh, engages the articulation on the cannon. So you can, I suppose, engage targets that are pursuing you, though yeah, yeah. nothing can really catch up with this jet, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> and also you run the risk of shooting your damn drone, which parks in the <laughs> middle of the ship. There is real-life precedent for that, I'll have you know. It's incredible. Okay, right, right, yeah, man. So the... The design squarely falls between the SR-71 Blackbird, as we all know, and then the fictional jet from Firefox, that Clint Eastwood film, where he... Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to watch that a lot as a kid. Yeah, man. Skyjacking. But But, uh, if you do Google some screen caps, in fact, I'll uh, I'll find some images, I'm sure, and, and, and toss them on the socials. But yeah, there are different design elements Certainly the more angular design elements of the of the ship look like Firefox. Um, but the overall kind of configuration takes from the SR-71. Right. And the SR-71, in fact, did piggyback a drone called the D-21 drone. They never got it to work. It always malfunctioned. You know, it either kind of did not return to base and just kind of kept bombing along along its kind of programmed flight path. Or just crash landed. I think the Chinese uh, intercepted one and and then eventually handed it back over to the United States. Um, maybe it's yep. part of some kind of exchange. Yep. But yeah, interesting that it has a real life precedent. I mean, most of these fanciful things, like when they add bits and pieces to a real world design, are completely fictional. But in the case of the Night Raven, it's a real thing. The drone saw yeah. reuse with the. Cool. Crusader shuttle, so it swapped sides essentially and became a G.I. Joe uh, added piece for the, the reuse of the Defiant in 1989. And it did not see re-release in the Sky Raven. So I was always shorted the damn thing with my set as a kid. But yeah, as I say, the Night Raven itself, a beautiful piece. If you're a true G.I. Joe diehard, I'd say you need this toy. In terms of major variations, there is one. The slider mechanism that lets down the landing gear in the, I think the initial release is a straight slide. So it slides back on a track. That was found to be perhaps a bit too flimsy, like it would often kind of cave on its own. Um, So they added a notch in later releases. So you actually kind of pull it sideways and then pull it back and kind of locks. It locks into its forward position and then slides back into its rear position. 
Uh, yeah. Strata Viper is a damn fine figure. Beautiful. And I think kind of looks uh, unisex in a way. They've got very petite feet for some reason. Um, they are kind of short in stature, which is of help because the cockpit is cramped. Okay, you cannot get a lot of figures into that cockpit and sufficiently close it. Partly because right. it has this wicked, like, drop-down mechanism. It slides down as opposed to the canopy yeah, popping well open. Cool. It does look cool, but it is problematic. Um, there are a lot of loose Night Raven canopy or drop-down cockpits at this stage of the game. And unfortunately, mm. because it can sometimes drop quite suddenly, there are elements that can break to it. So always be very yeah. ginger about how you play with your jet. <laughs> That'd be quite cool to uh, quite cool to army build night ravens. <laughs> Expensive hobby that. Yeah, man. Look, I find that the night raven is best utilized not as an army builder kind of vehicle. It came to my attention while researching this that it only appeared in special missions in the original run. In the main ah, really? ARA Marvel line, we only got a hint that there was something parked at the Cobra Island aerodrome under a top. Remember Flint's recon team? They're kind of scoping yeah, do, out yeah. Cobra Island. They're like, El- yeah, I think yeah. it was Alpine who spots it. He's like, there's something really big and stealthy looking under a top. Uh, at the F- yes, yes, yes. We never see it. So these are really special aircrafts and something that shouldn't be thrown around too callously because... They are supersonic, super, super, supersonic. Three three times the speed of sound make them the fastest guys in the sky. Okay, bar none. Yeah, cool. They are reconnaissance craft. They are spy planes. They are radar invisible. And just in case you're able to <laughs> find one in the unlikely event that you corner a Night Raven, well, he's got firepower to take you cleanly out of the sky. The point I wanted to make about the androgyny of the um, Strata Vipers is that in fact, in one of the more famous appearances, there was a a named character Sky Raven pilot called Raven in the cartoon series. Ah, okay. And it was a female. And she gave Slipstream a great run for his money. Um, I forget what the episode is called, but I can research it while you talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's cool. Um, oh, I didn't know anyone who had this Night Raven. Um, it was sporadic appearances in the comic gives it kind of that that kind of mysterious appeal. Um, you know, anything that's shown less is always you know a favorite. Like you know, Boba Fett in Star Wars. And uh, I was actually I was speaking to Ben about this earlier. We, me, and him both say Boba Fett, which apparently annoys Americans. Who uh, the correct pronunciation is Boba Fett. Obviously, he is called Boba Fett in the movies, but for me and Ben, he's always Boba Fett. But you know, his his lack of appearance, screen time, led him cult status, and same kind of thing with a lot of these toys. And you know, if it's not in the comics much, then, oh, yeah, that Night Raven looks well cool. So I think that adds to the appeal of it. The name of the episode is In the Presence of Mine Enemies. Also happens ah. to be probably my favorite episode of the original cartoon. It's a good one. I would say track it down. Okay, but I that, I, I think, um, I mean, I could actually go on forever, but I think that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> very good. 
Very good. Um, there will be more toy talk next week, um, depending on what the issues are. You know, try and guess what toy that Steve's going to talk about is. Uh, I'm not sure on Chief's track record. Not been too shabby recently on guessing, so try and keep that up. But right now, we need to confuse some people because it's time for Commonwealth Colloquialisms, aka Over Egg in the Pudding. We got a pudding. We got a pudding. We're gonna over egg that pudding. Ain't got no criticisms. We got some Commonwealth colloquialisms. Chief, what's a shallot? A shallot? Now, I'm assuming that's not a shallot. Oh, shallot, sorry. Okay, a shallot. Pronunciation aside, the. A shallot is like a smaller, sweeter kind of um, opal shaped onion. I would agree with you, and so would my wife. But Australians okay. would not. <laughs> oh, they course, they, I know, I know. Uh, offence taken, I'm sure, by all Aussies out there, but we mean it this time. <laughs> A shallot. They call spring onions shallots. No, that's wrong. Because a spring <laughs> onion is its own separate thing. Yeah, it's long and green on one end and white on the other. That's You've a got spring it, onion. Yeah, that's it. Mate. Mate, I, it drives me crazy, I tell you. <laughs> maybe this is just regional to Queensland. It, maybe it's not the whole of Australia, but everyone calls those things, those long yes. green and white things, shallots. Yes. They obviously don't have shallots. No, they do. Or, I've bought them. Oh, what do the they call them? Damn if I what know. What do they call them? Small onions. Shit, I actually need to research that a little further. I knew you'd ask me that because you're a very, very, you're very good at this, Chief. You're a good host. Um, <laughs> take a lot of care with the contents. But yeah, <laughs> man, sure. I, I have no idea. Maybe they call them both okay. shallots. It's just yeah, one maybe, of those weird maybe. things. Like, like um, a marrow is that thing, but it's also that other thing. They're both oh, marrows, right. you know? Okay. Hmm. Mm. Um, what if I said something was a little bit skew-whiff? Skew-whiff? Oh. Yeah. Like disgusting? Like makes you nauseous? Uh-uh. Oh, skew-whiff shit. would be something that was crooked or not straight. Oh. It's a little bit skew Well, we would just say squiff. So you would... Oh, you would br- say squiff. You would break right. down the... <laughs> <laughs> you break down the the, the, the um the syllables skew whiff. Yeah, so I would have it as s s k e w, then uh, maybe a hyphen, maybe not w h i f f. Okay, well, South African. I, I'm basing this on nothing, but I imagine it would be spelt s q u i f f. Squiff. Squiffy. Oh, squiff. Squiff. Yeah. Huh. There you go. Interesting. Um, what else you got for me? Uh, hmm. No, I think we'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, yes. The well has run dry. The well has run no, dry. No, no. Uh, squiff is a good one, man. I like that. Oh, yeah. Of course you had squiff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Skewiff yeah, yeah. and I'm, squiff. I'm, Interesting. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Different receptions. More colloquialisms next week, but now it's time for. We asked you a question, you being the people of the world, and you responded in every way that you could, but not every single way, because no one sent us a letter, because we asked you a question. (laughs) Snail mail. Only you do the snail mail, Chief, and it's lovely. I loved getting a package or an envelope. Hey, it was actually just like a yellow piece of paper that you sticky-taped into an envelope. 
Very, very industrious. Yes. Nice. <laughs> and I think I said I'd post more pictures uh, up of those, and I haven't done that. So let me make a note. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a pen. Post-its. Make a pen. Post pics of snack. Boring. Let's Plus. talk about the topic, Chief. Oh, my word, yes. man. So uh, a little thing happened. A little something just sort of, you know, just out of the blue. The death of Snake Eyes, okay? The yes, linchpin yes. of G.I. Joe. He died. He was killed off. Okay. Yes, yes. Now, just just to recap, as a few people did get confused when I posted this question up, kind of saying, um, you know, what does people think about Larry killing off Snake Eyes? A couple of people said, what, you mean he's been killed off again? And obviously I was referencing the issues that we had discussed on the last episode. So issues 212 to 215 of the IDW run. Um, Ah, Chief, is it possible that our social media reach exceeds the number of people even listening to the podcast? Wowzers. Wowzers. The people reading your posts that, that are unaware of the content we're dealing with. Well, things aren't looking good for that, um, that question that I posed earlier this year about, uh, how many people are reading along? <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, so th- the question was, ignoring what comes after the death of snake eyes what did people think about larry killing off the character now a lot of respondees ignored my question asking them to ignore what comes after and they mentioned at length sean and dawn and all this other stuff but i was more interested in just the act of forget about what we know happens in issues 216 onwards imagine if issue 215 was the last issue of a real american hero you've read and your knowledge stops there what what were your thoughts of larry killing off the character and um it was a good response as always from the the listeners we had a lot of responses and some of it was you know very educated and um measured i thought maybe it's indicative of the kind of people we attract to this show because yeah chief i mean i certainly have a cynical side i fear i might have poisoned you as well with it and maybe chris did as well in his tenure you know there this run is hot and cold we know this uh so some of the responses were very uh outspoken on how they didn't like it in fact a lot of them i'd say that the majority of the responses we got on the socials were yeah, it was not handled well. It was weak um, for a number of reasons, uh, not least of which the fact that, like, you know, Snake Eyes is killed off and immediately we've got a replacement for him. It's like, let that event have a little bit of space to breathe, you know, and, and yes. be mourned. I mean, like, it was quite arbitrary. Anyway, that, that was a major criticism that I, I tapped into. But something that I was quite curious uh was the fan response directed towards larry now it's known that he is unafraid to read and even allow print letters that are less than praise for his work yeah and yet at the time of writing the letters page is glowing everyone reflecting on the death of snake eyes is like, oh, Larry, well done, congratulations. Um, you know, what a fitting end, what a beautiful tribute. We, we don't like the fact that he's gone, but we like the way you, you handled it. And that's lovely, but is it honest? Did they, did they shy away from printing negative responses? Or were there no negative responses? Did no one have kind of the balls or the spine to step up and say, Larry, 
didn't like that. Flash forward yeah. to Larry's Facebook, and we were made aware on our socials that, in fact, there was a backlash, and people called him out on it. He did not respond. <laughs> no. Which, you know, he's very selective in what he says and doesn't say in the world of the social media, and, and he can be pretty cantankerous and is not afraid of the, the block button and the unfriend button. But uh, just a pity that someone did have the stones to say, Larry, this is, this is weak. Uh, you know, yeah. from a writing perspective, to do that to your linchpin character... And that got me thinking, like, how did they get away with it to begin with? Last week, Shannon Gallant told us that he was called up on two occasions by Hasbro to omit things or erase things or change things. One of them was as minute a detail as some background characters smoking a cigarette. And Hasbro were like, no, our toys don't smoke. (laughs) I I assume that's how they phrased it, exactly like that. Our toys don't smoke. (laughs) (laughs) They're good role models. They're real American heroes, of course. Even the dastardly Cobras don't don't light up. So how did Larry take their their jewel in the crown, their number one selling toy, and kill that character? Maybe the reason Sean picks up the mask literally on the same page (laughs) as Snake Eyes gets vaporized. Maybe the reason is he needed a direct substitute with absolutely no time lapse for Hasbro to sign off on it. Because you need the yes, character, the, the at least the visage of Snake Eyes, to never die. That toy cannot die. So even if it's a placeholder, Snake Eyes must exist. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a case of, look, we've seen Death of Superman, Death of Batman, Death of Captain America. We've seen all these, you know, tagged storylines that clearly do, whether they are good or bad, clearly do increase sales. I'd be very interested to see what this did for Real American Hero, but it was, in my my cynical mind, it's just clearly, right, Hasbro, uh, IDW cash in. Let, let's sell some more books. Death of Snake Eyes. We, like you said, we don't really want the character disappearing. So, you know, almost straight away, there's no there's no gap between the Snake Eyes visually and and um, dialogue-wise, because he has no dialogue. <laughs> there's no difference between the one we knew and the one we've now got. So, business as usual, with, without having to have a book without Snake Eyes in, but we got a sales bump for those issues. So... If that was always going to be the case, it almost didn't matter how Larry killed him off, did it? Or could maybe people railed against the fact that it was Serpentor, who potentially wasn't a a massive fan favourite. I'm not sure, I'm I'm guessing here, but maybe people would have liked Cobra Commander to have offed him, or it was in the midst of a giant eyeball um, Transformers kind of mashup storyline which wasn't going down so well so maybe it was just the circumstances of the death that people didn't like as well yeah 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 but uh yeah definitely was railed against that he could be so arbitrarily replaced within a number of panels almost i'm going to tease that out slightly because it was a point made by a number of great commentators uh forgive me i'm not gonna name drop all of you but that that definitely is a thread um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna spin one point out of that that wasn't mentioned at least not while I passed over my over the the socials and that's the fact that 
There is room for a bit of character development. They missed a trick in that not only does Sean don the mantle of Snake Eyes, but he can do everything that Snake Eyes did just as well, if not better. Okay, yeah. one of the coolest moments in Snake Eyes' early run of, of stories, obviously, is the infiltration of the Silent Castle. Issue 21 is the man alone doing the things, you know, using the skills that only he as a Joe has, and also the kind of emotional content of rescuing his girl. In the very next issue, like the issue we discussed today, Sean is infiltrating the Silent Castle, going Mm toe-to-toe with the the head snake, uh, you know, able to literally, like, kill him outright there has been no development to that point okay we've got hints of a backstory but it feels like it hasn't been earned it's all come too easily it would be a perfect opportunity for like this guy has big shoes to fill and those are the stories that we're going to tell it's like yeah, yeah you can you can play with uzis and swords but this is snake eyes you're trying to impersonate he has a style yeah, and a way the, about him that you need to imperson- you need to 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 immerse yourself. I don't feel like you know that also just cheapens the whole thing. That it's so easy to emulate Snake Eyes completely. Yeah, it felt to me like a wasted opportunity, but even before that point, because you've introduced Sean and he's already come packed with some backstory because he's wade collins's kid you know he's excelling in the military he's trying to join up with the joes he's got a new code name throwdown so you've already created this new character and that character probably had legs he could have you know stuck around for five ten years as a newly introduced joe and probably could have been quite an interesting character i think you know his relationship with stalker who you know served alongside his dad and i think that was that was going somewhere that had legs and larry kind of took all that away by just putting him in in the Shadow Man gear straight away. So I think we got robbed of, of that separate character as well. Yeah, would have been interesting to see that relationship develop. Snake Eyes actually becoming a kind of a mentor figure to Sean. I mean... So what about you just on a, on a personal level? When you read this for the first time round and, okay, Death of Snake Eyes, were you okay with Larry killing him off but you preferred it to maybe have been a bit more meaningful, the the actual death, or were you like, no, I don't want ever to see a Joe die? I don't think I didn't ever want to see a Joe die. You know, I came into G.I. Joe and Joes were already dead, you know, like, well, I suppose Joes were dead as early as, like, issue 19, I think it was, you know, General Flag. Yes. it then but no look i it had been spoiled even before i even laid eyes on the cover chief i mean like i read these issues long after the the media storm had died down like pe- right. the backlash of people like what they killed snake eyes what you know plastered all over social media i wasn't reading concurrently with all of that i came to these books much later um, so by then, I already knew that I knew the criticisms. I knew that it was an arbitrary, unceremonious death. I I was happy with the the funeral issue that was beautifully portrayed. 
<laughs> yes. Not too heavy on the dialogue. You know how I like that. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I'm just going to echo what everyone else says in that if you're going to kill off your your darlings, you know, g- give it a, a plot line that, that means something. Maybe that's too yeah. too contrived for it to mean something. That it's, you know, a death at the hand of someone more meaningful to the plot, not a reanimated corpse of a character that Larry actually gives rocks about anyway. You know, Serpenta was only ever yes. like a pop-up baddie in those issues. He wasn't kind of used to his full um, potential, shall we say. Maybe it was just uh, Larry giving the finger to everyone saying, look, I'm going to kill everyone's favourite character using my most disliked character. <laughs> um, well, you don't know, yeah. you? what a boner. I don't know. I think... <laughs> I think uh, t- two two points for me is that I've you know been reading Joe and Action Force comics since the mid '80s, and I d- I'm just trying to think: do I have any kind of personal or emotional attachment to any of the characters? If any of them got killed off, I don't necessarily think I would be throwing my toys out the pram. And that's not to say that people shouldn't be throwing their toys out the pram, but I'm just saying, like, like you know, eyes, I'm, I'm not. Chief. It's kind of yeah, but I'm not. I don't. It's Snake Eyes. He's just another Joe to me. He's not. He does. He doesn't rank higher than any other Joes. Or if you want to kill him off, kill him off. I don't care either way whether he lives or dies. But uh, maybe I think I definitely echo a lot of people when they say that the storyline needed to maybe be a bit heavier and a bit meatier and mean a bit more, and not him just get vaporized with no body left. I think that was poorly executed by Larry, definitely. But I'm never against writers doing whatever they want with the characters it's it's up to us to decide oh i like what you've done with that character or i don't but there's no you know I, I hear a lot of this in criticisms of other comic books oh that character wouldn't act like that or oh he doesn't you know i don't like the way that writer's writing him well the writers can do whatever they want it's up to you just to decide you know whether you like it or not and the other thing is in other major comic book storylines outside of joe's when a big character has been killed there has been that breathing room so when doomsday kills superman you get the four replacement supermen and you get the whole <laughs> funeral for a friend reign the superman arc which goes on for months until the original obviously returns same thing with batman same with captain america same with all these guys there was breathing room and here there was it wasn't even issue to issue it was the same issue when you know the 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 same characters effectively back so i think it would have had more resonance and meant more if there could have been a six month gap with no no snake eyes air quotes character but maybe like you said maybe hasbro would only sign off at it if you know there was no gap hmm. interesting so yeah. we just joined the sort of chorus of like naysayers that this was a bad story turn and and, and handled poorly Yes, but at this point mm. in time, I'm not groaning every time Sean shows up on panel because, I don't know, I, I'm still able, I think, at this moment in time to separate him from the original Snake Eyes, even if it's even if it's only in a very minor way that he writes notes on pads. That's <laughs> enough of a sliver for me to consider them two different entities. But maybe after he appears more and I read more, I'm like, oh, no, this I can't go with this anymore. I don't know. We'll find out. And don't overlook the obvious poignancy of Scarlet being forced to kind of take this splitting image 
in ability, in appearance, of her dead lover to take him under her wing and show him onto the bloody Staten Island ferry. Yes. You know, where where her and the man called Snake Eyes, you know, had a, a romantic moment <laughs> interrupted by a couple of Crimson Guardsmen, but then, you know, resumed the <laughs> romantic interlude. Like, she's, she's tortured, man. And I'm pretty sure we're not going to get an exploration of that. But as I said in this podcast, like, at least it sends my headcanon in an interesting direction. Yeah. And for me, that's that's the best part of G.I. Joe. It's I'm still a kid playing with, with his toy box. And the comic book, Joe Media in general, is, is not the be-all and end-all. It's the springboard for my imagination. For my imaginary box of toys. I don't need the, the, the comic book to give me every answer. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, you know, in my mind, at least, I'm still an eight-year-old sitting with a uh, wobbly milk tooth or at all these incredible plastic playthings that I have before me and the, the myriad of adventures that we go on. So, you know, yeah. I guess long story short, there are interesting possibilities that Sean presents. Yes, yes. But that extend- extends beyond the ambit of this question. Yes, good stuff. Uh, Didn't like it. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who responded across all the social media platforms. We appreciate that every week. So, you know, without responses, that segment will just go back to me asking Steve a question. So, um, Oh, heaven forbid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks for that. As usual, you can get in touch with us in all the usual places. That's Talking underscore Joe on Twitter, Talking Joe Comics on Instagram, Talking Joe Comics at gmail.com and Talking Joe, a G.I. Joe podcast on Facebook. Where can the good people find your work, sir? Oh, what work? <laughs> Across the road at the grocery store. That's yes. what I do now. That's for what I'm saying. Yeah, where, where is that shop? <laughs> if they want to come down and say hi to Steve, oh, yeah. packing groceries, where is Whites that? Whites of North Ward, Warburton Street, Townsville. Woohoo. 48 to 10. Look me up. <laughs> cool, cool. Good stuff, good stuff. You can also find Talking Joe on the G.I. Joe Berg YouTube channel because we are running a series of Chief's Toy Box where I rummage through the box and pull out some oldies but goodies. And uh, we've got another episode. What have we done? We've done three so far. We've got another one coming up soon for you. So stay tuned for that. And uh, more guests coming up. We had uh, SL Gallant last week and we got two more potential guests lined up. One maybe next week and I don't know when the other one's coming. But uh, yeah, stay tuned for more details on that. But uh, with all that said and done, we will catch you down the road. We've been talking Joe. We're all out of Joes. Yo, Joe! Yo, Joe!